Well, if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, today, I have titled this uh, God at Work. I love God at Work stories. Over the years, we've done a number of them here. We've done them on video format. We've done them on testimonies, sometimes on a Sunday. I remember the Sunday where Francois and Ed and Ali gave uh, some of their story of what God had done. And uh, even in just some of the baptisms that have taken place. I just, even with that, I think recently with just Mason's baptism and man, I just continue to be blessed and ministered to by that. I think of Frank and Karma's baptism and just how impacting that was as well and so many others. And uh, I love God at Work stories and they do two things. As time goes on, I'm seeing God at Work stories, they reveal much about ourselves. Just how often it is when someone tells a story of what God has done in their life, you hear about them and it's like, I can relate to that. I know that or I know what that aspects of that are like. And it reveals, reveals much about ourselves. It also reveals much about our God. It's like, yeah, that's right. That's who our God is. That's what our God does in those times. And I bring that up and I've named this God a work story today in 1 Samuel 16 because we're really gonna see four truths for ourselves and four truths about our God uh, with this time. Now, I want for you to know as we are getting started in this series, really we're week two. Here's how I'd like to help your thinking on how we're headed in the direction we are. Uh, we're gonna be on a great journey here for the coming weeks and coming couple months together. And so these two Sundays are kind of like everybody load up, get in the car. That was last Sunday. Then it's kind of like, all right, now we're in the car. We got to make our way through Avon or the west side of Indy to get to the highway. And uh, that's what today is. We're kind of getting our way and we're putting some things together, getting some data on the table, pulling it all. And the next Sunday, man, we're on the highway and it's here we roll. All right, so today has some aspects of it that are about data points that I wanna get on the table and some I'm gonna leave off because we're gonna pick them up on the journey with it, all right? Let me pray and then let's dive in. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that we have together to open your word, to dive in and to learn not only about ourselves, but even more importantly about you. I just ask in these coming minutes that we have in this time that this chapter would just speak of you at work. This is not a David at work story. This is a God at work story. So here we are to a work in ourselves for your glory in Christ's name, I pray. Well, verse one, 1 Samuel 16, let's roll. The Lord said to Samuel, how long? How long, Samuel, will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Number of things here. Um, uh, need to work through here, and they're just some dynamite stuff in the text for us. Uh, we begin by this. The Lord is saying, Samuel, how long? 
Now, we closed out chapter 15 where uh, it was kind of a sad ending to a chapter because what we really have is Saul is rejected by God as king. We have Samuel is grieving over what's taken place and how bad it's gotten. And the Lord is even sorrowing over Saul's uh, sin and might I say his dereliction of kingly duty for the Lord. And it's a sad ending of a chapter. And so we enter chapter 16 and we find Samuel grieving in this. And note in this, God is not saying, Samuel, stop grieving. Like, Samuel, we're not sad people. You don't see that. And we can even verify that even the Lord right before, in the verse before, the Lord himself is sorrowing. Hey friends, God created us with emotions. And godliness is not defined as without emotion. Godliness is defined emotion put in the right, might I say this, the right rhythm of things. Let me, let me go to Ecclesiastes 3. You can either go there or just listen to me as I read. I would call this, there are seasons of life, seasons of life, times of life. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a, and a time to gather up. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace Valentine's Day and a time to refrain from embracing, not Valentine's Day. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, that's an interesting statement. A time for war, and a time for peace. I would summarize what Solomon is saying here is this, we are a life rhythms people. We are to be a life rhythms people. The fact is, is we live in a world of rhythm. I mean, we have days and weeks and months and years, and the earth moves in a rhythm, turns in a rhythm. The sun rises, the sun sets. Rhythm, rhythm, all around. I feel like I need a rap or like something with that. Um, no, I can't. But we live in rhythm. And not only that, but here in Ecclesiastes 3, God has called his people to be a rhythm people. There is a time for, there is a season for. But here's the thing, rhythm implies not stuck. There is a difference. There is a time for. How long that is, I don't know, and it can depend. It can be a long period of time, but still not be stuck in. Rhythm implies the idea of not stuck. And I think here the Lord is, in 1 Samuel 16, is prodding Samuel. Samuel, 
You've, you've had a season to grieve and that's a right thing and a good thing. Honestly, I don't know how much time is between the end of chapter 15 and chapter 16. Did God make this comment the next day? Was this a few days later? Was this a, was this a week or two later? It could be any of those. But God is kind of coming in and, and lovingly prodding. He's not rebuking him for uh, getting stuck in, but he's essentially saying, Samuel might now be the time to pick up your bat and ball and get back after the kingdom work. Might now be the time with that. We are a life rhythms people and life rhythms means not stuck in question. Uh, Might you be stuck? Might you be stuck? Right now we kind of live in a world that, oh, I pray doesn't get stuck where it is. It's uh, kind of an angry world right now. And everybody's uptight and everybody's trying to figure things out and it's tough. It's just tough. And um, there's a season for, but be careful. I'm even going to bring in the quick context of this. I mean, this has to do with the context of a governing leadership here. And just even for me personally on the table this week as I'm digging into this, I'll just say I did not vote for Biden and I did not vote for Governor Holcomb. Don't judge me. That's kind of a weird, maybe possible mix and response. But I had personally, I had my reasons in that. And just personally with that, um, both are in office. And there's kind of like just the way the world is right now and everybody's just kind of angry about society and politics. It's kind of like, hey, uh, Doug, might now be a time to pass the season of grieving. Your guys lost. They won, whoever that is. Let's roll. Let's like get back to kingdom work in it all. And uh, may the Lord help us. Uh, the text. Uh, so then he asked her, asking this question, prodding Samuel. Uh, uh, it says, then fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse. It's interesting. God prods him, and yet God also is like, it's time to go, my friend. It's just time to move in this. Chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel took his horn of oil, and he anointed Saul. So uh, now God is saying, pick that Uh, pick that horn up with the oil, fill it up because now I have another king, a new king for you. So this is kind of even a a rhythm and a repeat with that. And notice in the text, he says, and go and I will send you. And and I'm gonna be careful here. I don't wanna try and take things out of context, but I'm just gonna say, one of the things that was impressed on me this week as I'm in this text is the reminder that we are a sent people. We are a sent people, and there is a time to sit, a time to grieve, a a, a time to pause, a a time to to, to just gather together, a time to rest from work, and then there becomes a time to back at it, because frankly, we were made to be going with and for the Lord. We are a sent people. I think of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were sent to fill the earth. Adam and Eve were not called to sit in Eden. But out of Eden was to be a fill and subdue the earth. Noah was sent to build an ark in Hebrews 11 to preach righteousness. God sent Abraham from his town and country. Joseph was sent to Egypt by God. Moses was sent to Pharaoh. The Israelites were called to be priests sent to the world. Ruth was 
to Bethlehem. Uh, Daniel was sent to Babylon. Jonah was sent to the Ninevites. Hosea was sent to redeem his wife. Jesus talks about in Matthew 4, he talks about follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The, the, the implied idea is, is that there's a time for preparation, but ultimately the preparation is all about ascending, going reality. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, go make disciples. It's always been there. Paul sent to the Gentiles, 2 Timothy 2, Timothy uh, teach the things you have heard from me to those who will be qualified to teach others. Even the information that you learn is supposed to be passed on, is supposed to have a sense of going out. And the Israelites were not given the promised land for the promised land to be a sitting base place. The promised land was ultimately to be a sending base place. And Radiant, I just want to say this. We are not to be a sitting people in a sitting base place. We are to be a sent people who gather together in a sending base place. We're a sent people. And by the way, keep that in mind as the year progresses for us. So we're to be a sent people. We're to be a people of life rhythms. Third, as we're sent, we're to go knowing that we are a provisioned people. Look at the end of verse one. The Lord says, Samuel, I have provided a king. I have provided. Um, man, this is so encouraging, so reassuring. Because, loved ones, I fear that we have a tendency, I have a tendency to want to do things in our own strength. And then we even think about being able to be of impact for the Lord according to our strength set, our capacity set, our uh, uh, rated uh, personality set. And we think that that's the thing that it is. But the fact is, is God provides. God is saying, Samuel, you've had a season to grieve. It's, it's time to pick up your bat and ball. I don't think the Lord is saying, get over your grieving. I actually think the Lord is saying, bring your grieving with. Bring your grieving with, but it's also time to get after it. And in this, knowing this, that I provide for you. You just go, I will do the work. Hey friends, ministry for the Lord is not based upon how awesome, how sweet, how amazing you and I are. Because if that's the case, let's pack our bag up and go home. This is about what the Lord can do uh, as a provider for me. We just get to be on the journey of it all. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Zechariah 4.6, not by my might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Matthew 28.20, at the end of the Great Commission, go knowing, Jesus says, that I will be with you always. And then we find in Acts chapter one, he kind of says, wait, wait for a little bit, hold for a little bit. And then when God uh, provides uh, the third person of the Trinity, you will now be provisioned. You will now be empowered to be able to do whatever. I don't even want you going until like the Lord has fully given you the ability of provision to be able to go. Don't go in our own strength. We're to go in the Lord's strength. 
We're to be a life rhythm people, a God-sent people, a provision people. And yet in all of this, we are an excuse-making people. Um, I was going to title this, uh, We Have Butt Issues. But I thought maybe that, and then I'm like, but that's memorable. So I'm just going to say it, and that way I don't have to print it up. You know, it's like, get that in there sometimes, even though... Let me read verses two and three. And Samuel said, after the Lord just said, he's gonna provide, by the way, for myself. Interesting, I just don't have time to go into it, but just noting that. The people had their choice. Now it's God's turn. And Samuel, verse two, said, but how can I go? I mean, God, if Saul hears, he will kill me. By the way, that's a legit issue. I mean, it's not like the kind of issue where it's like, but I don't have the right clothes. Or kind of like, you know, God, how's this going to happen? I haven't made my Airbnb reservation. Like, how do I do this? No, listen, this is legit. This is like, Lord, if I go, and this is Samuel. Lord, if I go, Saul is going to kill me. It's a legit issue. Um, and the Lord said, if I could summarize, I will provide. But look, uh, take a heifer with you, Samuel, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. I get, and I think we all understand, we get being excuse-making people. I mean, I go back in scripture and I think one of the greatest excuse makers that has been a blessing to me is Moses. I mean, Moses is just like doing sheep thing. He's like 80 years old in it. I don't think Moses had his idea of like, I wanna be a dude in God's redemptive history plan and like, I wanna lead a couple million people out of Egypt. I don't think that was it all on it. He's just like, I'm retired. <laughs> and then God shows up and in it, then he has his but God issues. But God, me? But how? But, but God, they won't listen to me. But I can't speak. But this wasn't in my strategic career plan. But, but. And yet God's like, get to chapter four. God's getting a little irritated with Moses. Dude, just go, I got it, I got it. I also think of Isaiah six, maybe on the opposite end of it. In Isaiah six, Isaiah is before the throne room. And in that text in Isaiah six, he, he talks about how he's there and, and, and all of a sudden this question comes from the Lord, whom will I send, who will go for me? And you may have heard that Isaiah is like raising a hand. I will go, I will go. No excuses there. But note this. I think this is critical to why Isaiah is spot on. Because right before that, Isaiah comes before the throne room. And as he's in there, he sees the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. He sees the robe of the Lord, the train of God's robe, filling the whole temple in it. He, he, he sees the seraphim flying around in the heavenly room. And he hears them declaring out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
goes, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the earth shook at the voice of the Lord. And he just beheld all And then the Lord says, who will I send? After you see that event, and you are allowed to be there, I think Isaiah's like, I want to be in on this more. It wasn't Isaiah as the dude stud of the Old Testament. It's like, I'm tough, I'm rough, I got this, Lord, I can take it. I actually think he sees the Lord and he says, woe is me. And then he's like, just, I, I, I just want to be able to behold more of this. I'll go, I'll go. Like, I'm a loser, but I'll go. And we get that. A big view of God casts out fear. A big view of God casts out excuse making. A big view of God casts out me as being the central issue. Verses one through three, four truths about ourselves. We are a life rhythms people. We are a sent people. We're a provisioned people. We are an excuse making people. And yet this God at work story reveals much about our God. Truth number one, our God loves obedience. With all of that set, let me read the beginning of verse four. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. I literally have that whole statement boxed in my Bible. We got to remember last Sunday in chapter 15, and even, even if you know before then, Saul has been started out strong, even anointed, even we're told that the spirit rushed upon Saul, and yet and it, it just became a disaster. And last Sunday we talked about how in chapter 15 that uh, it, Saul was living a fantasized obedience. I did what the Lord told me. No, you didn't, Saul. No, you didn't. And all of a sudden here we have this contrast that even Sam is like, Lord, but, but Lord, I, I might get killed on the way. And then the Lord's, I, I, I will provide, dude. Here's how we're gonna do this. And, and then Samuel's like, okay. Okay, no fantasized obedience, no sanitized obedience. Just like, okay, Lord, I'm in on it. What a highlight to see. It is not impossible to obey the Lord. And the Lord loves it when we do. God loves our obedience. God loves our obedience. He knows how we struggle with it. And frankly, I think because we struggle with obeying him, he loves it when we do it even more. Note Bethlehem in the verse. Hmm. That's a connect point. Just a nod to Bethlehem. Verse four. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet Samuel, trembling, and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
which is what the Lord said to do. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Why would they be trembling? Two possible reasons, at least in my little head. One is, is it's Samuel. I mean, it's Samuel. Samuel's a dude for the Lord. And if Samuel walked in this room, I would kind of be like, whoa, Samuel's in the room. I'm sitting down, right? The second reason is, is because the end of chapter 15, if you remember, Saul did not take out Agog, the king. (laughs) And Samuel in the text uncomfortably said, hacked Agon to death. Listen, and if you don't think we're got around, and all of a sudden Samuel, that just hacked Agog to death, I think they're like, uh, uh, are you here peaceably? <laughs> or do you still have sword in hand? And he's like, peaceably, I have come. Um, listen, don't miss those little delight moments and tension moments in what's going on. Even the people are trying to figure out what God is doing and even what Samuel is doing in all of this. And so he has this, uh, he says, I've come to sacrifice. And he has this consecration moment uh, that includes the elders, as I see that of the city, and and also uh, Jesse and his sons. I'm understanding that David would have been there. Know this, what we're about to read is a separate event from this moment. It's like gathering the elders, gathering Jesse's family because something's about to take place here. And and Samuel does this consecration moment and invites them, see the end of the verse, invites them to the sacrifice. I don't know all what he said. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if they knew that, you know, someone's going to be selected. I'm not sure in all this, uh, but let's keep reading verse 6. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Samuel thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That's interesting. Um, I'm the youngest of three brothers. And uh, people always thought the oldest was the most likely. Youngest siblings, are you with me? I got to be careful on this because I don't want to reveal any bitterness that there might be in this. Um, But it's a fascinating thing that Samuel's looking on Eliab and Samuel's like, oh, this guy's got to be it. That rings everything of what happened earlier in Samuel with God's people looking at six foot two, six pack abs, country boy, hot looking Saul. We want him, man. We want him to to represent because he could represent against all the other kings of the world. That's what we want. And now Samuel, I'm just going to say it this way. Samuel gives me hope because we all fail in this. We have this way about us where we are not great judges. We judge externally. But I just want to note that God has a tendency and a pattern of using the least likely. So if, if you are 
good-looking, great presence, smart, wise, the full package, be careful. And if you're not, be encouraged. (laughs) Because God has a history of picking least likelies. In fact, here's a few. Joseph, sold by his brothers as a slave to Egypt, and God used him. Moses, he begins out floating in a basket down the river. He ends up getting booted out of the Egyptian pharaoh's household. And yet God used him. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was widowed. Elizabeth was elderly and barren. And then you have kind of no-name country bumpkin Mary. God uses her. Then you have the disciples. What an unimpressive group of men. And I will say this. (laughs) God often used youngest siblings. Boom. He did. And then I'll just make reference to Jesus. It says that the Messiah would have no form of majesty about him and no beauty that we should look at him. Jesus didn't come as the 6'2", six-pack ab, hot-looking dude. God has a way of using the unlikely, and that's encouraging. God's people have a tendency to judge. Samuel had a tendency to judge with Eliab. We have a tendency to. But out of that idea comes this fact. God, our God rightly chooses God rightly chooses. Let me read verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, uh, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. but The Lord looks on the heart. I, I would Love to deep dive into that, but because of what is going to be taking place in this series through 1 Samuel and then later this year through 2 Samuel, we're going to be diving into this whole heart issue with David. I just want to note this. I, I, I did not put our God sovereignly chooses, although our God does sovereignly choose. And yet I want to note here, I think the idea of the text that kind of comes to the forefront is that our God rightly chooses. We have a tendency to wrongly choose. God rightly chooses. Not only is God's cho- are God's choices sovereign, but they are right. And in this, uh, there is this sense of this idea that there is something in the heart. Now, this is, this is a text. You've got to keep the context in mind. This is about picking a king for God's people Israel. And in the picking of that, God says, I look at the heart. And there is a wide principle of that. But there is also a present principle of that in the exact choosing of this king. Because God could have sovereignly said Eliab, but yet God said, no, not Eliab. And it was not just a sovereignty choice. I think this is also, there is a heart choice involved here. Something is not in these others that is the is, is the fertile ground that I want to have happen to be able to pick the one. And there's one that has this heart. And so just default it all to God's sovereignty, I think is missing what some of the text is saying. 
It's kind of like, is it predestination or free will? Yes. That's truly my position. Absolutely. How can you put both of them together? I can't, God can. And the scripture speaks of both. And I think here, this is one of these times where it's similar. It's like God sovereignly chooses, as we'll see here in just a second, sovereignly chooses David, and yet God in the whole of it, God sovereignly chooses David, and yet David's heart matters in his choosing. Work that one out, Doug. I can't, but look at the text. Oh, I've got to move. Then Jesse said to Abinadab and, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. I don't think those were verbal. Otherwise, man, that would cause family dynamics. Verse nine, then Jesse uh, made Shammah pass by and, and he said, no, 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 not this one either. That's kind of the way the Hebrew is. Uh, verse 10, and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. It's interesting, seven, there were seven, but uh, anyway, I'm not gonna get into that. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Which this is one argument that says maybe David wasn't at the consecration meeting. Uh, but maybe he was. But is there one here? And he said, yeah, there remains my youngest. But, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes. By the way, even dad didn't think it could possibly be David. His own father for sure had to think he was the last choice. And he sent and brought him in and he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. We could talk about that, but I'm not going to today. And with that, David and the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is the one. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. Oh man, as the youngest of three brothers, I just, I wish I knew what happened more there. I wish I knew what they all knew. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. By the way, that terminology is also carried earlier in 1 Samuel with Saul. Uh, Saul, it says in chapter 10, uh, that the, the, in 11, that the spirit rushed upon him. I just, let me note it this way. The third thing in this is our God fully empowers. Our God fully empowers. Even with Saul, the people's choice, God fully empowered him. But I would argue that part of what was going on is Saul's heart was in the wrong place. And here, God is going to, the spirit of God rushes upon David. By the way, I don't think that was some dramatic thing where like David's over there. <laughs> you know, we, we want to like so spiritualize some of these things with it and make it, you know, like we see in movies and stuff. Uh, this is, I think this is terminology as God see, And God just like rushed on him from God's eyes with what's going on. And uh, David is anointed and Samuel rose up and... Uh, went back to Ramah. David is anointed. Spirit rushes on him. And David is ready to go. And David never asked for the job, put his application in for the job, sought out the job, pursued the job, strategized the job for himself, 
David was just a shepherd. And God pulled him from shepherding the sheep to shepherding his people, Israel. Friends, there is a lesson there. Our God chooses rightly. Our God empowers. And lastly, we'll read and finish it out here. Our God uniquely sends. Um, let me preempt as I read this last chapter or last paragraph. God has not called you or me to be a king. Just know that. But the same God who worked in David's life to put him in a place to do things for the Lord that David, from everything we know and everything I think we'll see in his particularly next Sunday, oh my goodness, we're gonna see some things about David in that with the whole Goliath deal. And, and yet God, God is the one who works. And we in our American success culture have a tendency to try and strategize out our success. And oftentimes, even for the Lord. And in ministry at times, sometimes we're just in this hole of ministry as a whole, sometimes plan. Yes, we're doing some vision planning right now. But in it all, there's a whole reality of what is God going to do in this? This is God's thing. God's going to move in his people and you and in me. And there is reassurance in that, friends. Let's not get out ahead. Let's allow the Lord to work through us. He empowers and he sends. Let me read the last paragraph and we'll close it up. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and the harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant, servant said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is, is upon you, he will play it and, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. And then one of the young servants, as he's hearing this, I'm kind of working it, as he's hearing this and thinking it out, he says, hey, 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 King Saul, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Oh, friends, has God already been at work before the event even takes place? Oh, yeah. I've seen, and he is skillful in playing. How did he know that? He had to see him play. He is a man of valor, a man of war. That's why I think David at this point in time was more closely towards around the age of 20. He is prudent in speech, a man of good presence. Like, I gotta say, that's like a stack of things. This dude has somehow been around David to see these characters, to see these qualities in him. Oh, and the Lord is with him. That is the statement that fascinates me. Even other people around David have this sense, something's going on in this dude. There is something between him and the Lord that is going on. Now, might I say, David, by God's grace and God's work in his life, prepared him to be able to be ready as fertile soil heart for God to use. And by the way, other people see that. 
And therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and skin of wine and young goat and sent them to David by his son Saul. And, And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. And he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played with his, it with his hand. And so Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit departed from him when he played. Friends, the scene is set. It's time to get on the highway. Here we go next Sunday. Buckle up. Because God is at work. And so, Lord, we give you the glory for it. We give you the honor for it. This is not about David at work. And this is one of these chapters that just make it so clear. David's not the one who set him in place. David's not the one who connived his way. David's not the one who strategized it all. David is not the one. God, you were. This is a God at work story of your plans, your purposes. And yet, God, you are not a far off God, distant God, detached God, uncaring God, unemotional God. I mean, you are there loving on Samuel, helping him to press on to do kingdom work for your glory, even as he's in a hard place. And you are at work uh, grabbing a hold of David and uh, the man of your choosing, whose heart was in a place to where you knew it could be molded and shaped for your glory. God, your work. And those truths need to carry over into our lives this week. Your work. Your work behind us. Your work ahead of us. And you are work in the present with us. I just pray, God, that we would be a humble, moldable, aware of you people because you are indeed at work. In Christ's name we pray, amen.